0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, January the 16th, 2020. On today's show, I break down South Carolina's. 81-78 win over the Kentucky Wildcats. Holy moly, South Carolina gets a monster upset at home at Colonial Life Arena. Jermaine Kuznard with the last second shot to beat the Kentucky Wildcats. I'll break down the entire game, including just what it means for this 2019-2020 season. Jermaine Kuznard, the fight and resilience of this team. Frank Martin, a look ahead of the rest of the season and much, much more also some news and notes to get to your listener questions and a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks outfielder D'Angelo Mack that I know that you are sure to enjoy. Before we get into everything, this is a podcast to you by our friends over at Ag South Farm Credit. Guys, most lenders don't understand land financing. Ag South Farm Credit specializes in land financing and has been doing it for over 100 years. They make loans for small and large acreage, hunting property, timberland, farm and pasture land, even home mortgages. And construction, they have a ton of great benefits, including long term fixed rate financing up to twenty years, down payments as low as fifteen percent. They have competitive rates and they pay an average of twenty five percent of the interest back every year as what they call patronage. So they are cooperatives so they share in their profits with their member borrowers so guys, for example, on a three hundred thousand dollar loan at six and a half percent for twenty years, you would get back two thousand seven hundred and seventy dollars each year. They have an experienced lending staff that knows land and knows how to finance so guys. It's 2020, right? We're all going to be making big time life decisions in 2020, whether it's getting married, we're getting a house, we're getting a new job, um, we're getting a new car, we're buying some land, whatever it may be. Whenever you make a big time life decision like that, especially a lot of us out there, again, you're buying your first house, you're getting your dream house, whatever it is, you want to feel as comfortable as you can about the situation. You want to feel like someone's in your corner. They're going to make that process for you. Super simple, super easy. Make it smooth. Ag South Farm Credit is that lender. One of the questions they get asked most because obviously they do land, they do mortgages, they do a little bit of everything. Do I have to get two loans when I'm buying land and building a house or can I bundle it into one loan, right? So how many loans do I have to get? So you actually have the ability, or excuse me, they have the ability to do a one-time close on your land, home construction, and permanent financing so you don't have to pay double the closing costs. They're actually saving you money in the process. They'll even work with customized cash draws for your builder to make it easier on them to get your home built quicker. So guys, like I said, Ag South Farm Credit, they're looking out for you. They're going to make the process as simple as possible, as easy as possible, and they're going to save you as much money as they possibly can as well. So if you want more information on their construction and permanent financing, give those guys a call, 844-AG-South, or visit their website, agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S. That's A-G-S-O-U-T-H-F-C. Dot com slash T-S-U-S, AgSouth and housing NMLS 619788. So again, their website, AgSouthFC.com slash T-S-U-S, or give them a call, 844 ag and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. All right, let's get into it. We did it! Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Wolf of the Spurs Up Show. Joining you as always, appreciate you guys tuning in. Holy smoke, South Carolina finds a way to pull the upset. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? The Gamecocks get the upset over the Kentucky Wildcats in what was a magical, interesting and dramatic night at Colonial Life Arena, guys. Appreciate you guys tuning in on a fantastic Thursday afternoon, morning, whatever it may be for you. Thank you so much for tuning into the Spurs Up show again. I am Chris Phillips, your host as always. Man, we've got a lot to talk about. What a night, what a game, what an afternoon, whatever it may be. What a phenomenal time at Colonial Life Arena. South Carolina gets the 81-78 to win. The first thing I want to say to you guys, Holy shit, that really just happened. I'm recording this immediately after the South Carolina-Kentucky game. I was at the game. I'm sure you guys saw the video on social media. Unbelievable, unbelievable. I'm so happy that I had my phone out at the correct time to get that last second shot. But what, what an interesting, unreal, unbelievable game. A lot like this South Carolina basketball team this season. My emotions were all over the place in this basketball game because early on, there was frustration. I mean, listen, there was frustration. There was anger. There was anxiety. There was nervousness. There was optimism. I mean, guys, at one point, I think it was like 10 minutes left in the second half. I'll be completely honest with you. The spread was Kentucky was a a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I was sitting in my seat thinking to myself, you stupid, stupid asshole, why did you not bet the house on Kentucky minus five and a half? The easiest bet in college basketball history. Guys, you don't realize how close I was to tweeting it out. And I thought, ah, let it play out. Let's see what happens. It'll probably work out that way, but this is college basketball. Let's see what happens. And sure enough, I would have lost the house. I was dead wrong. By the way, cheers to everyone again. I did this on Tuesday as well, but why not tonight? Or why not today, excuse me? South Carolina beat Kentucky, cheers. Ah, sip from Columbia Craft, a toast. What a game. What a game. What a win. South Carolina, getting it's first conference win. Um against Kentucky, what a bipolar team we have. You know, the Gamecocks have lost games to Boston, to Stetson, but you've beaten Virginia and Kentucky. Does anyone understand this team right now? Does anyone get this team or know what this team is thinking or doing? I I sure as hell don't. You know, I was joking with my buddy after the game. It'd be such a South Carolina thing to, and I'm going to get in this in a second. It would be such a South Carolina thing to win this one and then go lose on the road to AM on Saturday. A&M, an A&M team that's, what, 8-7? and seven? Not really great. But the Gamecocks, for whatever reason, show up and play their best basketball this season at least against the best competition. I want to start talking about diving into this game. And you can't start anywhere else. It would be a disservice to start anywhere else. But Jermaine Kuznard. Phenomenal night. Tip of the cap and a round of applause for Jermaine Kuznar. Jermaine Kuznar, last second. Mashed potatoes, Skittles, buckets, the bank is open. Whatever you want to call it. Jermaine Kuznar with ice in his veins, ladies and gentlemen. Ice in his veins. 26 points. Three rebounds, three assists. 34 minutes on the night, 26 points, a career high for Jermaine Kuznar. Unbelievable game. An unbelievable game for Jermaine Kuznar. I think he had 17 of those in the second half. Frank Martin saying in his post game press after the game that Jermaine Kuznar is becoming the heartbeat of this team. You know what's so funny? I talked about Jair Bolden. Where is Jair Bolden? I don't think he came out of his out of his damn uh Warm-up suit the entire game. But really what the point of that clip was is that, hey, if A.J. Lawson's going to struggle or not be the guy or if he's – whatever's going on, somebody else has got to step up. Jermaine Kuznar did that. 26 points. Ice in his veins on the last shot. What a shot. What a shot it was. I will say this. tip of the cap to the Kentucky guy that hit the fadeaway – to tie the game at 78, that was a great shot. let us I mean, you know, I wouldn't be saying that if we lost, probably. I wouldn't be giving him credit, but I will say that was credit. That was a hell of a shot. But Kuznard calmly, patiently walking it up the floor. Gets about, what, 40, 45 feet from the basket, throws it up, calls bank, hits it, game winner. Unbelievable job by Jermaine Kuznard. What a game from him. What I hope and what I think could be possible, what, what I really hope is that this is the start of something big for a guy like Kuznar. South kind of needs a guy like that to step up and break out, maybe take some of the pressure off A.J. Lawson. I don't know. Because I still believe in A.J. Lawson. Like he's still got talent. I still think he's that guy. But the Gamecock's need another big-time threat, another big-time scorer. And, you know, again, what Frank said about Kuznar in post-game, the way we saw him play. And when we heard about him in the last season when he wasn't playing, could he be that guy? I think he could. He showed that. He showed that to you last night. That he is that type of player. I mean, really a guy that embraced the moment. Even before that last second shot. I mean, he went toe-to-toe with Kentucky all night long. He proved good enough to drive, to score, to shoot from the outside. And he was athletic enough to cover their guys. I was very impressed from what I saw from number five. Some other guys, I mean, Frank talked about him as well, but Justin Minaya, 11 points. Hit some big shots down the stretch, some big three-pointers down the stretch. Keyshawn Bryant with 15. Is there anybody who destroys the rim harder than Keyshawn Bryant does? This man is a beast. I'll tell you this, and again, this isn't calling him out, but this is just kind of the game. Also, I want to give a shout-out to TJ Moss, 10 points. A guy who is much maligned, much criticism. Even from criticism from myself, 10 points on the night. He hit some big shots down the stretch as well. Should be duly noted. One of the things that surprised me, and this is not calling him out, but Mike Coats zero 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 points on the night. It's very, if you had told me Mike Coats has zero points, i say we probably don't win. But shout out Alonzo Frank, six points. Shout out Jalen McCreary, six points. Did just enough in the paint. Did just enough in the paint for South Carolina, And, again, it led to the tune of 56. 56 second-half points. This team, I think the biggest thing, win or lose. I would have said this, win or lose. But the fight and the resiliency that I saw from this team tonight, or last night, excuse me, was – you know, I'm not saying this team hasn't been fighting before and, you know, there, there hasn't been resiliency, but this team could have easily laid down and laid an egg and, you know, kind of beaten itself for it even get out there. Oh, we're playing Kentucky, big-back Kentucky. They're ranked 10th in the country, you know what I mean? Oh, you know, woe is me, like whatever. And early on, it looked like it might have been that way. And even early in the second half. But this team never quit. This Gamecocks team never quit, and I think that's what impressed me the most. That's what I was happiest to see is that this team never quit on themselves, on each other, on the Gamecocks fan base. Shout out to the Gamecocks fan base, by the way. Showed up, showed out, phenomenal crowd. Really, really good stuff from the Gamecocks fan base. Really good stuff. A lot of Yeah, there was a lot of Kentucky Blue in the building. But I'll tell you one thing, when South Carolina made a basket or made a play or whatever happened, it got louder than shit in there. They got loud as hell. So shout-out to the Gamecock fan base. You guys did an amazing job. Made that, a, made that And – I'll be honest, I really think the South Carolina team fed off that energy. I, I, I do. That's a thing. Home court advantage is a thing. I think the South Carolina team fed off that home court advantage, that, 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 that crowd energy. Just a phenomenal job by the guys to fight, again, to be resilient, could have easily hung their heads. You've lost three you You'd lost three in a row. Like, woe is me. Everybody's down on everything. You come out and play your best basketball. And I said before the game, I don't think I said this on yesterday's show, but as we got closer to the game, I told myself, you know, I think South Con is either going to win this basketball game or they're going to get blown out. I, I don't think there's a middle ground. there. I think they're going to get blown out or win the game. And at about the 10-minute mark, South Carolina had a choice. You can either get blown out or you can try to go win this damn thing. And sure enough, and thankfully, Gamecocks win won it. I mean, unbelievable, unreal. Um, you know, I, I do want to say something real quick. And I said this immediately after the game. This win is great. The Virginia win was great. These type of wins, especially get it at home, in front of your fan base, is great. It's great stuff. But now what do you do? Now what do you do? How do you build off it? I relate this win over Kentucky to the win over Georgia in football. And it's a little bit different. But I relate it to that in the sense of that win is great. It is. It's phenomenal. But if you don't, keep that momentum going and capitalize on it, it doesn't mean as much as you want it to. You know what I mean? South Carolina football beats Georgia and then loses five of the next six. What good did it really do? South Carolina basketball beats Kentucky. Or excuse me, South Carolina basketball beats Virginia. You lose the stats in the next game. You lose the next two, you lose three in a row. What did the Virginia win really mean at that point? So you beat Kentucky, right? You beat Kentucky at home. Great win, phenomenal. And I'm still, I'm, I'm still jacked up as hell. You can hear my voice. I'm, I'm pumped about that win. But you beat Kentucky at home. Now you're on the road to Texas A&M. Can you, can you follow up that great performance? Take it with you. Texas A&M is not a great team. They got Buzz Williams as their head coach. So what? So what? You go into hostile territory. So what? AM's not a great team, eight and seven or so. I mean, they're middle of the pack, kind of like you are, kind of like SouthCon is. Can you carry momentum, though? Can you can you build off this Kentucky game? Like, one of the things I don't want to see, Jermaine Kuznard, phenomenal night, 26 points, amazing. What I don't want to see is Jermaine Kuznard go out there Saturday and have three points, four points. Build some type of consistency. Build some type of momentum. Now that you've won this game, what do you do with it? That is my biggest question because you still got to play Auburn next Wednesday at their place. And I know Auburn lost to Alabama last night. Basketball is crazy. But you're still going to be a dog in that one. Right? You're still going to be a dog in that one. And then you got Vanderbilt at home you got a very good chance to win two of your next three. And Arkansas on the road and who knows. But you got a chance to build something and go on a little bit of a run here. But you got to take advantage of this Kentucky win. Don't let it be an anomaly. Don't be Jekyll and Hyde. Don't be inconsistent. You know, it's maddening how South Carolina gets so up to play these big games and then, you know, they play games that you feel like they should win or they have the advantage in. They don't show up. They just don't show up. So, you know, as happy as I am about the Kentucky win, do something with it. Let's, let's do it. And it's in more of an encouraging. I'm not saying in like a hateful way or like a talking shit way. It's just like, hey, let's do – guys, let's do something with it. We, we got this thing rolling. Let's go. Anybody who thinks South Carolina fans don't care about basketball didn't see the same crowd that I saw last night. This fan base is starving for a good basketball team. Granted, this is not a fan base where if we suck, you're going to sell out the arena every week. It's just not going to happen. It's not. Hell, you're having trouble selling out college football games right now. But this is a fan base where if you are a good basketball team, just good, you don't have to be great, slightly above average. This fan base embr- embraces basketball. It really does. This fan base embraces the basketball team and embraces the sport of basketball. So build off this win. Use it to your advantage. Keep Uncle Mo in your corner, right? Because I know a lot of Gamecock fans joke, and I'll say it on this show, but it would be the most Gamecock thing in the world to go on Saturday and lose at A&M. After you beat Kentucky, it really would. Like beating Kentucky was the most Gamecock thing ever. It's just unreal, hard to believe all right let let's let's move on let let let's talk about the pressing issue that I know a lot of you probably tuned in to hear about let's talk about frank martin man you, some i tell you man, I love gamecock fans I, I gamecock Twitter is the most entertaining thing in the world Gamecock social media is great it really is. Some of you people, I I, I tell you, man, I, I think the, here's the thing, which is the wildest thing about social media. <clears throat> I think the most miserable people on the apps come out after South Carolina gets a big win. Not if they lose after they get a big win because, and it wasn't a ton necessarily, but there was a fair number of people. Oh, fire Frank Martin. You said fire Frank Martin. How do you feel about Frank now? I want to go on the record and say, I never said to fire Frank Martin. I've never said that once. I've never, I've said I've grown weary of some of the shit he's done. I said, if you miss the postseason, you should reevaluate. I've not said fire Frank Martin right now. I've not said that. I just want to make that clear to everyone that's curious or confused or whatever it may be. So I want to make that clear. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) social media, I love it. I mean, trust me, my business wouldn't exist without it. Spurs Up show wouldn't exist without it. But, man, some of you on social media, you got to stop taking the internet so serious. Just calm down. Enjoy the W. Get a grip. Either way, I digress. Let's talk again a little bit more about Frank Martin. A lot of you, I had some people ask me, I went on Instagram Live to the game, Does this save Frank Martin's job? Or, like, what does this mean for Frank Martin in South Carolina? Listen, I like Frank Martin. He's a good basketball coach. You don't beat a team like Kentucky and Virginia if you're not a decent – a good basketball coach. I don't want to say decent. A good basketball coach. He's a good basketball coach. There's no question. There's no question he's a good basketball coach. Right? like I just talked about though what do you do with this kentucky win i still say i still say to this point that if you miss the postseason entirely you you may need to re you may need to evaluate and see if a change is warranted and i don't think it'd be necessarily completely unwarranted if you miss the postseason i really don't you know i like frank we can't keep giving life a lifetime contract, though, because of one Final Four. The Kentucky win is great. But again, the Kentucky win for Frank Martin means the same thing the Georgia win meant for Will Muschamp. I mean, if Will Muschamp goes on a streak and wins the next six games in a row, we finish nine and three, well, yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, Great. Extend him. <clears throat> but he didn't. He lost five of the next six. So you got at A&M, at Auburn, Vandy at home, at Arkansas, Mizzou at home, at Ole Miss, A&M at home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Go on a, go, go on a winning streak. Because to me – and, I, you know, I saw some things on social media saying, well, it's the players, obviously the inconsistent To me, it almost points more to the coaching. Like, your teams – your players are good enough to go on the road to Virginia and win and beat Kentucky at home and win? Why are they not good enough to beat Stetson at home and Boston at home? Why are they not good enough to go on the road to Knoxville and beat an average Tennessee team? I'm not saying you haven't been close, but you don't get paid to be close. You get paid to win. (laughs) You don't get paid. How many of you listening get paid to be close in your jobs? You get paid to be close to the numbers, not on them, but close. What the what the fuck is close? Nobody gives a damn about close. You, nobody gets paid to be close. You get, paid to, you get paid to do it. You either get it done or you don't. Again, I like Frank. I've never said fire Frank Martin once on my show, and I'm more weary to say fire Frank Martin than I was fire Will Muschamp because Will Muschamp's never won anything. He's never won anything. I think he took Florida to 111 win season. I, I know he won the Outback Bowl, but nothing really of significance. And Frank, frankly, see, ironically, I'm saying that frankly, but just to be completely honest with you guys, not to switch this combo to football, Will Muschamp is looked at as a joke by a lot of the national college football world. I hate to tell you guys. Frank Martin is a very well-respected basketball coach. Good, he's very well-respected had success before South Carolina, he'll probably have success after if he still coaches. That's why I'm so hesitant to kind of, you know, I I like Frank, I do. But there has to be some sort of expectations with the job. There, There has to be some sort of, you know, what a standard. There has to be. So that's why you're not seeing me, you know, explode in the way that I did over Will Muschamp. So it's a much different scenario, much different. So that's what's funny when I have people on social media saying, "Oh, you're the fire everyone got." Like I haven't said "fire Martin" once. I'm actually quite the opposite. I just want to see how it plays out because, like you saw last night, basketball so crazy. You never know. God, South Carolina can win their next what? How many? How many conference they? They're one and two. They got what? Thirteen conference game. They can win the next thirteen in a row. You never know. It's the sport's crazy. This sport is crazy. But if you're Frank Martin, the inconsistency issues of this team lie on you. They're on you. You've got to find a way to pull out whatever you've gotten in Charlottesville and against Kentucky and pull that out against everyone else. You can't – I mean, I know the players are the ones on the court shooting the basketball, guarding, doing everything. But, like, it doesn't make sense that a team that can beat Kentucky and Virginia can't show up to a game at home and beat Stetson. That, to me, screams a lack of preparedness. That screams, to me, a lack of want to, a lack of effort. And, again, can you build any sort of consistency? Go on the road – Two Texas A&M. It's hard to win on the road in the SEC. I acknowledge that. But can you go win on the road against an A&M team that isn't much better than you? Not really. What do you do with this win? People say, you know, people ask me, does this save Frank Martin's job? I I don't think his seat was boiling or anything. I mean, I just think there's chatter. It's year eight. You want to make the tournament. I want to make the tournament. You know, I mean, there should be chatter. You get paid a lot of money to win basketball games. When you lose, there should be some chatter. It's not because you don't support them. And I think, again, that's the disconnect that some, not the majority don't, but that's the disconnect that some fans have. They can't handle criticism of their own team or their own coach or their own players. It comes from a place of just wanting to win. It's nothing personal. Like Frank a lot. And, again, build off of this win. Build off this win over Kentucky. You've obviously got good players. You've got players that embrace the moment. Now find a way to pull it out of them each and every single game. So, but wrapping it up, awesome. An awesome game. Crowd, again, shout out to the Gamecocks crowd. Phenomenal. Stayed in the entire game. The students, shout out to the Gamecocks students amazing, so loud, made it a great, env- I mean, really, the best, the, and I haven't been to, you know, a ton of South Carolina basketball games before this season, this is my first season with season tickets, but that was probably the best South Carolina basketball environment I've ever seen, and again, I know there were a lot of Kentucky fans there, but I mean, just a great environment, really was, really, really great stuff, I was so happy to see it, um, and a great win, man, it, it's just, So, so nice to be happy for Gamecocks basketball the way we are, um, the way we were last night. Just, it's awesome stuff, man. So, um, good stuff. So, let's get into some news and notes really quickly. Uh, Connor Shaw obviously introduced today, replacing Marcus Lattimore, Take newer player development. Um, Really good stuff. A lot of you asked, you know, how do you feel about the Connor Shaw hire? I mean, if you're going to replace a legend like Marcus Lattimore, who else but Connor Shaw? I mean, the winningest quarterback in school history, the GOAT, the legend. Um, I think he's going to have a tremendous impact on this program. It's just great to have him back in Columbia, a guy that knows exactly what these guys are going through. I think he'll he'll have a major impact on the recruiting trail as well. And, again, a guy that's just – it's great to get him back in Gamecock circles. You know, I joked on social media that, you know, I, I'd love to see Connor Shaw be the next head coach and, Shout out to all of you out there that took that tweet so literally and got upset about it. You guys are really what makes social media fun. But uh, it's great to have 14 back in Garnet and Black, man. I, I'm so happy. So happy for Connor. Obviously, he's been on the show before, a friend. Um, so happy for Connor, his family. Um, and, and to get him back in Columbia is just it's something special. It, it's really, really good stuff. And I think it's it only means – fantastic things for South Carolina. Um also, another quick shout out, Chris Silva. Getting a roster spot with the Miami Heat gets a two-year deal. He's had a great season. What a great thing, man, for a guy Chris Silva who's battled his ass off, has learned the game of basketball while he's at South Carolina, has really worked his butt off and gets rewarded for it. You know, it's just it's great to see Chris Silva ball at the NBA level. Um he's had a really really good year. Honestly, he's he's exceeded my expectations. Um, and it's just great to see. So kudos to Chris Silver for what he's done in the NBA level, getting that two year deal and, uh, getting his payday. Congratulations, Chris. So, um, all right. Do have some listener questions want to get into really quickly? I posted the question, uh, question box on Instagram the day before the game. So I'm sure a lot of these are not related to the South Carolina Kentucky. I'll repost a question box tomorrow. And we'll kind of have that chat on Instagram but I uh, want to go ahead and knock out these listener questions. Got a lot of good ones. Then we'll get in this interview really quickly. Uh, Austin 20 underscore. Who do you think will win the starting job, Luke or Ryan? I think Ryan Halinsky right now, I think his experience a year ago pays off big. I think Ryan will beat out Luke, but I do think Luke Doty plays. Again, remember, he can play up to four games and still get his red shirt. So expect to see Luke Doty on the field. Um, Weston Carsetter, short list for linebackers, special team replacement coaches. Honestly, I don't know a lot of guys who are trying to replace him right now. I think Kyle Krantz obviously is a candidate, but uh, outside of that, not 100% um, with the guys they're going after. Weston Carr again. Expectations for next season with new coaches and strength and conditioning coach. Just get better. I mean, the strength and conditioning coach, you just hope everybody stays healthy. Get healthy and stay healthy. That's my expectation. Um, As far as the offensive coaches are concerned, I don't know how much the whole philosophy is going to change, what the offense is going to look like, but I want to see the execution get better, and I want to see the play calling get better. Those are the two big things I really want to see improve. Um, Let's see. Um, Henry Hodge, how will the loss of our linebackers coach affect us? You know, I wouldn't say it's a major loss or anything. I mean, it's not like you're losing your defensive coordinator or, you know, your head coach or whatever um Hutzler obviously a a light guy well respected guy uh you know I expect South Carolina to get somebody in there can fill in and fill in well you know I will say the linebacker position I'm not throwing it on Hutzler but it has struggled so maybe it's good that South Carolina get some fresh blood in there that's what I'll say um let's see let's see I don't know if this is like a joke of a question but I'm gonna read it the underscore novus what's your favorite cheat meal ha ha um <laughs> favorite cheat meal would probably just like pasta. I mean, really just pizza, pasta, any pasta. Um, or hibachi. Hibachi's awesome too. Uh Unstable Storm 101. Last question. Record record for next football season and is must Champ staying? I think the record's five and seven, and I do not I think I don't think it'll be good enough to beat Muschamp Champ in Columbia. I really don't. I don't think it'll be good enough for must Champ to return. Um, I've got five and seven right now. I mean, listen, I I think going into twenty twenty football season, it's going to be a lot like going in last football season, where it's like anywhere between five and seven and seven and five is is a is not a bad prediction. You know what I mean? But going into twenty twenty, there's much more hesitancy on my end to pick a, a record like seven and five because we just finished four and eight. So. I'm erring on the side of caution and I'm more in show me mode. Like, if you're going to go seven and five, do it. But I'm not going out on a limb and saying you're doing it until you do it. So I've got five and seven right now, maybe six and six. I'll give my official, official prediction come uh, the summer before SEC media days. But uh, I've got five and seven right now. So. Appreciate all the questions, guys. Got a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks outfielder D'Angelo Mack, obviously, again, as we creep closer and closer to opening day, bringing on more and more baseball guests. So, D'Angelo Mack, a guy played for the Gamecocks, was a true slugger, swung the shit out of the bat, guys. Took some mammo hacks, if you don't remember. I'm so excited to have him on. A lot of great stories, a lot of great memories. Uh, you, I know you guys are going to enjoy this interview. It's all brought to you by our friends over at CTE. guys. Whatever you may need tickets to, whether it's South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, concerts, county club events, NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, whatever it may be, SeatGeek has got you covered. Go download the SeatGeek app, or go to SeatGeek.com, use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Guys, again, they have tickets to everything. They've got a great ticket rating app, which rates the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. Whenever I need tickets to South County Gamecock sporting events, especially. I go through SeatGeek. I always have the confidence to know that whatever seat I'm getting, number one, whatever seat I am getting, I know I'm getting the best bang for my buck. I know that I know I know where I'm sitting. Number one, I'm getting the best bang for my buck. I'm getting the best price possible. I don't have to scout for the ticket. They really take care of all the work for you, and make it super simple, super easy. They'll send the ticket right to your phone. It's a no-brainer, guys. So again, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP at S-P-R-S-U-P to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks outfielder D'Angelo Mack. All right. Joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2006 to 2009. During his South Carolina career, he hit 337, had 21 home runs and 82 RBIs. In 2008, he was named to the NCAA regional all-tournament team. And in 2009, he was SEC's second team uh, he was also drafted in the 13th round of the 2009 MLB draft by the New York Yankees. And during his minor league career, he hit 274, had 27 home runs and 144 RBIs. I'm very pleased to joined by former Gamecocks outfielder D'Angelo Mack. D'Angelo, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you,
2: Chris. Uh, very excited to be on the show, and thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. So, D'Angelo, let's start in the beginning for you, because obviously you were a guy. You're from Columbia, South Carolina. You played your high school baseball at airport. Just talk about the recruiting process really quickly. I mean, was it ever, um, I guess, what was that process like? Because I know it starts really, really early in baseball, obviously, and you being a guy that was a top prospect. Uh, What was that process like for you? Was there ever any doubt in your mind about where you wanted to go to school and play college baseball?
2: Yeah, I mean, at at that point in time, you know, we were doing very well. South Carolina was a very prestigious program. Um, I knew, you know, kind of right off the bat that, you know, if I got an opportunity to go play at the University of South Carolina, that's where I wanted to go. Um, some of the perks behind it, just just being able to play at home in front of my friends and family, make it a little bit easier for them to see me play. Um, so I got recruited by you know several other schools, and then you know once South Carolina came through, I was, it was kind of like kind of a no brainer. So I was like, ah, you know, I want to want to come South Carolina. I think as soon as I committed, I actually got a call right after from Clemson um, asking you know to go play there as well too. So uh, ended up coming to South Carolina.
1: For sure. So obviously, you played for a legend, Ray Tanner. Uh, we all know. Just, just talk about kind of your first interactions for, with him, and just what it was like—the experience of playing under Ray Tanner. Yeah, I mean, the experience playing under him is
2: just—it's—it's it's great to be honest with you. I mean, he's—I uh, won't say he's completely laid back, but it's kind of one of those things. He's—he kind of gets respect as soon as you step foot on on the campus. You kind of know the record. You kind of know what you're getting into. And um, it's just it's one of those things is a guy that you just go play for. I mean, there's, there's not a lot to be said in terms of like, hey, I need you to go play for me or him, you know, beating down, you know, the walls, how some coaches do. It just wasn't that type of coach. I mean, it's, as soon as you step foot on campus, you know what's expected. And, you know, there's not a whole bunch of yelling at you and trying to get you okay. going. I mean, you just know what you need to do and you kind of step your game up accordingly. And you're just surrounded by great talent and great players. You know, they did a great job of recruiting – at least every time that, you know, every year that I was there, did a phenomenal job of bringing in players at the players. And, you know, you, you knew what you had to do uh, to get on the field and, and try to contribute to the team. I mean, you at the end of the day, you wanted to make it to Omaha and make it to the playoffs and, you know, get as far as you possibly could. And, you know, you wanted to contribute to that as a player.
1: For sure. So I was taking a look at your career, D'Angelo. 2006, you obviously came in. You were redshirted. 07, you saw limited action. But – you came in at a very interesting time. I mean, South Carolina, like you mentioned, obviously a very proud program, very prestigious program. They had some absolute bashers when you got there. I mean, the mur- the true murderer's row of, you know, Disher, Darnell, Smoke, Havens. I mean, you just go down the list one through nine of guys that could smash. I mean, obviously later in your career, that really came around for you. I mean, when you just take a look at the statistics, your home run numbers definitely reflect that. But just talk about, I guess, coming in as a freshman, you know, what were you able to learn from those guys? And was there anybody that was sort of your mentor or sort of took you under their wing? Because, again, I feel like in your game you can really see it, especially when you get later in your career. I mean, your senior, you get 14 home runs, um, or your redshirt junior, you get 14 home runs. But just t- talk about you get in there, and, I mean, you're around all these guys that are, you know, a lot of them are South Carolina legends. and can hit the ball, it seems like a 1,000 feet.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, coming into South Carolina, I mean uh, – just the type of player that was, that was a gap to gap slash power hitter. That's just, that's just what I did. That's what I was. That's how I kind of approached hitting. And, uh, you know, and that's how South Carolina recruited at that point in time. Mm-hmm. We were not a big, let's go manufacture some runs, bunt them over. I mean, we we're going to hit you to death. That's just, that's, that was the game plan. We we're going to hit. If you came to the University of South Carolina during that point in time, you had to hit or you just weren't going to be able to deal. That's just, mm-hmm. that's kind of how it was. Um, you know, as first, of course, mentors when I first stepped foot on campus. Um, guys kind of like Stephen Reinhold and Mark Stanley kind of took me under the wing. They were kind of older guys. And Michael Campbell at that point as well, too. Um, pretty much everyone, to be honest with you. I mean, they when you get there, it wasn't like the, oh, let's go, you know, let's go haze the freshmen and stuff like that. It kind of took you under the wing and, you know, it kind of showed you what was expected and how you do things around here. And, you know, even... You know, even off the field, they could go near your week as well, too. It wasn't like this huge separation between freshmen and juniors or seniors. They kind of – everybody kind of gelled together. It was kind of a, kind of a big family. But, um, but yeah, following those guys around and, you know, getting strong in the weight room. Billy Anderson has done a phenomenal job there um, since I've been there before and even now, you know, just getting everybody strong as they possibly can and, you know, get it on the field and try to produce some runs. That's That was kind of the game plan for when I was in school there.
1: Yeah, D'Angelo, you touched on something that I really, you know, was excited to talk to you about, honestly, because I, you know, I've talked to a lot of different guys, obviously on the show that played for Tanner. I mean, it's no secret what the approach was, right? Lift and, you know, get the baseball out of the yard. It's singles clog the bases type attitude. And again, when you had the roster that you guys had, um, and that he had when he was at South Carolina, I mean, it worked. Um, But kind of a funny memory. So I remember my first game, two thousand nine, at Carolina Stadium. It was my first. I think it was maybe the first or second series you guys were playing Long Beach State. and I remember walking in, I you were at the plate, and it was an 0-2 o, o count or a two-strike count or whatever. And it was so funny because hitters, you know, or you hear in baseball circles, you know, the two-strike approach, choke up, try to put the ball in play. You take an absolute hell hack and strike out. But it was so funny because it still sticks out in my mind to this day. It's like, that's the Ray Tanner approach. When you have guys that get a home, hit home runs the way you could. I mean, talk about the uh, – just that approach your overall approach to hitter but you know kind of that mindset because again I mean you were a guy like when I think D'Angelo Mack I'm like this is a guy that took hell hacks up there at the plate he got his money's worth there's no doubt about that
2: no absolutely I mean it, you know even my approach when I went up to the plate like, I'm I'm always looking for something I can drive you know what I mean it, and that was something that was implemented you know with coach Tanner and you know coach Lee when he was there coach Lee was you know kind of took over the hitting no, hitting coach opportunities that he was a volunteer assistant and progressed into hitting coach and recruiting coordinator. And, you know, it's if you're going up there, our, our approach was you're going to drive the ball, you're going to drive it gap to gap. And there was no, like, let's hit the contact and just put the ball in play. I mean, that's all great and all, but, you know, you still want to hit the ball hard somewhere and drive it through the gaps. And then, you know, a lot of times if you hit it hard enough, you're going to run into a lot of home runs. And that's kind of, that was our approach all the time. And even with two strikes – like, yeah, you, you know, mentally you want to shorten up, you want to battle a little bit. Ideally you want to, you know, ward off as many good pitches as you possibly can to get the pitcher to mm-hmm. make a mistake and do something out over the plate and then you can take advantage of it. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, before it's choking up with two strikes. I mean, I, I didn't want to do that. I mean, if, if what's the difference between striking out at this point and then hitting a little drive guard to second or shortstop and getting thrown <laughs> out. I mean, it's, you right. can still you can still have a solid approach to the plate with two strikeouts, oh I mean, with two strikes and, and go up there and battle. I mean, not a lot has changed. You know what I mean? Your mm. pitcher's still at sixty feet, you know, the plate's still X minor inches across. You still you still have to square up a ball in order to get on base. Um, and that was kind of our, our approach philosophy and uh, and honestly, you know, going into Pro Ball, not much was different with that.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think you look at pro baseball now, it's the one that sticks out to me is Josh Donaldson on LB Network talking about uh, his approach and basically saying no, they pay you to hit home runs, you know what I mean? It's like you get paid to hit home runs, so um, no, I definitely agree with you, but I- I'm kind of curious, Angela, because obviously, again, the 2008 season, um, <clears throat> you played in 38 games at 283, had seven homers, 21 RBIs, but you really came on in the second half of that season, like I said, you were 2008, the all-tournament team in the regional, and then Really propelled you, I think, to the, your redshirt junior year in 2009, where I mean, you really exploded: 361, 14 bombs, 60 RBIs. What do you attribute that to? I guess kind of coming out and you know breaking out. Would you say just getting more opportunities, or you just developed as a hitter and a player as a whole? I mean, what would you attribute that uh, that development to?
2: I mean, you're around enough good players long enough, you, you 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 know you have to heighten your your performance, right? And the way you out and come on the field I think uh, you know a lot of it has to do with just opportunities and get it on the field and um and just being able to play uh, as much too and then you know as you're as you're in college a little bit longer you the first thing you you come out you come out of high school and the game's like you know a little faster than than what you'd expect so you're you're trying to make adjustments to slow the game down and as you're there long enough the game starts to slow down and you know you start to get some experience on the field and then you know, it starts to become like anything else. And once you get kind of solidified in your position and what what you're going to be uh, as a game clock on the field there, then that's, that contributes to it for sure. I mean, just having a, the opportunity and knowing like, all right, well, this is kind of your spot to lose. And, you know, it's a little easier to play.
1: For sure. Was there ever a pitcher in your career, whether it be college or pro, where you felt like, I guess we'll go both sides of the coin. What pitcher where you felt like for whatever reason, the guy always gave you trouble. And then was there a of the guy you faced, you're like, I own this guy. Uh,
2: there's always a couple guys that you can, that you would see. Uh, I'm trying to think of the toughest guy I faced throughout college and pro ball. Um, I guess pro ball, there's a guy, Jake Diekmann. Uh He was with the Phillies when I was there, left-hander. And he, literally what's kind of to step across his body and his arm slot and his release would come out somewhere in and around first base and second base, like the first baseman Mm -hmm. and second baseman. And as a left-handed hitter, you know, the first pitch you're looking at, you're trying to figure out where this guy's going to release this ball. He's stepping across his body and releasing pretty much behind you as a left handed hitter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was anywhere between 94, 95, up to 97, 98, and it just never looked like that. I remember my first time facing him. I was watching him warm up, and I'm like, all right, he's probably low nineties. And I'm looking at a score, but I was like, is that right? It was like, <laughs> you know, easy ninety six, ninety seven from the left side, and I mean, just completely sidearm and off, <laughs> off on the first base side release. I'm like, okay, this is uh, this is going to be interesting. And getting up at the plate, I remember just the ball just completely getting on you. I'm know, like, well, this is going to be an interesting at bat because. Hey, I'm trying to figure out what this guy's releasing the ball, and it's you know mid 90s. So um, he gave me a lot of trouble, needless to say. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, I don't know. I can't think of someone that I just completely owned. There's just some days you know you just get some great pitches to hit, and you can just see the ball well off of some guys, and some guys you don't. I think that's the biggest thing is you know if you can if you can pick up the ball early off someone, I think it makes it a lot easier to hit. Uh, the hardest guys, I think that there were a the phase for me were guys that kind of threw out of the same warm slot, but the ball did something different every time. Mm-hmm. Um, guys that threw two different fastballs were some of the hardest guys that hit, especially in pro ball. I mean, you get the two zero counts, you get the hitters counts, and, you know, they're throwing cutters in there on you. And it looks like it's coming out the same. It looks like, you know, ham and eggs fastball. And then all of a sudden you're, you're wearing one off the label or off the cap. Uh, so those were some of the hardest guys, guys that can move the ball around. Not necessarily, not necessarily the guys that threw hard. Uh, right. Some of the guys that threw hard, just you know, you can find one over the plate. You know, hard was irrelevant kind of in pro ball. You know, if you do upper nineties, even some guys trip digits. It really wasn't as hard if it didn't have the movement on it. Mm. Once you got into the movement, that's where uh, things really started to change for you.
1: For sure. So you sort of touched on a little bit earlier about in your recruiting process, where, <clears throat> you know, you're a guy from Columbia, wanted to play for USC, and Clemson sort of came on late in the recruiting process. Talk to me about the South kind of Clemson baseball rivalry, because I, I think you can make a very solid argument. It's the best rivalry in all college baseball. Definitely the most intense. Both fan bases are definitely into it. Both teams. You got a guys, a lot of guys that are from the state on both squads. And you, it's funny. I was looking back, kind of at your career, the years you were there. You saw some awesome moments. in I mean, I think 2006 was the year that harley Lale threw up the four to the outfield. 2008, you have Justin Smoke hitting, I mean, just an absolute bomb to right field after he stares down the Clemson pitcher. Uh, you had a walk-off. Obviously, you had a walk-off hit in 2009 against Clemson. Just talk about the South kind of Clemson rivalry, what it was like playing in that, what it means to you now.
2: Yeah, it's just uh... – I mean, it's, it's a lot of magical moments, it seems like, comes out of that series, and it's it's a big series. I mean, the, the fans, everybody's packing out the stadium. You know, fans are going wild, whether we're at Clemson or Carolina. You know, it's just, like you said, it's, for me, that's one of the best rivalries in, in college baseball. I mean, it's just we bring out the best in each other. You know, we want to win, and we want to take home the bracket rights for that. So, I mean, it's, I, it's nothing short of just, you know, spectacular to go out there and play. You know, Carolina Clips' rivalry—it's I mean, unbelievable. You know, and being able to experience some of those, uh, some of those, some of those games—you know, with smoking and, you know, hitting that home run—I remember that home run, and, <laughs> and it probably still hasn't landed. Um, you know, I remember Harley throwing up the four. I was in a dugout when he was coming off the field, throwing up the four. It's kind of cool; those have become, you know, somewhat iconic moments in, uh, in Carolina baseball, and it's been—you know—nice to be a part of that.
1: Where where would you rank in your career as far as moments the uh, the walk off single against Clemson?
2: Uh definitely up there. I would say uh yeah, that was that was great. I remember the build up to that. We were behind. Mm-hmm. Trying to think uh how many runs were it down. I, I just remember, you know, Adam Matthews having a really good bat and uh walking and we had Casey Ryan as well had a good bat and then um Enders I think he ended up hitting the single to the left. Mm. as well too and I was just thinking in my mind I was kind of counting all the batters ahead of me I was like man if we can just get up I just want to get up and then, you know I felt like I was seeing the ball well uh off of I think it was maybe even Casey Harmon I was pitching at that point I feel like I saw the ball well off of him even for a left hander so I was like ah oh, if we can just get up the pressures on them the momentum's to We're, you know we're at home this is great I was like we can do this and finally we did and it was kind of one of those things you would think as a hitter you would get kind of nervous up there, but it wasn't because, you know, Phil confident and our team, we had a lot of momentum, and, you know, all the pressure was on their side. It was kind of theirs to lose, and, you know, end up getting a good pitch to hit, and just thinking in the back of my mind, just don't do too much, don't do too much, don't do too much, and uh, was able to just get, hit a hard, hard ground ball between, you know, the four hole, and that was the end of it.
1: For sure. So, March 2009, that same year, D'Angelo, like I talked about, that senior year, you had 14 home runs. I'm not sure many of them were talked about more than the one you hit uh, in March of that year. I think you guys were playing App State. Either way, the scenario, you're up to the up up to the plate, facing a lefty. He throws you a hanging curveball, and you just tomahawk it in the right field over the buses. And I think they said at that point, which that was the first year of Carolina Stadium. But at that point, it was the longest home run ever hit at that park. Uh, just talk about that at bat. I mean, was – is that one of the longer home runs that uh, you've ever hit in your career?
2: Yeah, it was, it's it's definitely up there. Um, you know, during that at bat, I kind of remember the pitch. It was just – it's kind of one of those ones you, you – I wasn't – it's not like – it's one of the things you see in the, it's a hanging curveball. So it kind of sits up there for a little for a little while. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of starts over your head a little bit. and It was just one of those things I was like, wow, there's <laughs> no reason that I should not swing at this, you know, in the middle – and, you know, a curveball, if you were able, to, you know, to get contact on a curveball, you know, you're going to have a lot of backspin on it when it comes out and it comes off the bat. So that's one of the reasons why the ball went far is because it was a hanging breaking ball and then, you know, it's already getting that backspin on it. So you just hit it and get a little bit more out of it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that was basically, that was basically it for that one. So just had a hanging curveball and just tried to take advantage of it.
1: So you're drafted 2009. You're drafted in the 13th round by the New York Yankees. Daniel, just talk about obviously you know it's a goal of yours since you're a kid. I mean, what's what's the emotions for you to find out you're drafted by the Yankees?
2: It's great, you know. It's kind of a unbelievable experience. I mean, you you know, as a kid, you know, you grow up. You you know, I want to be a professional baseball player. That's you know, every kid, right? That's your dream. You see it on yep. on TV, watch TV, kind of emulate. You know, being you know your favorite baseball player, King Griffey Jr. was mine. So I was always trying to swing like him, bought all his cleats, all this other stuff. And it's just kind of like that moment. You're like, all right, well, I just, I kind of made it there. You know, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. It's kind of like, you know, you've since you're four years old playing t-ball, you're like, that's the ultimate goal, right? You want to you make it to you wanna make it to professional ball. And, just, and when it happens, it's kind of like, wow, this is crazy. I'm going to be a professional baseball player. And, you know, that's kind of it. And kind it's of like, all right, now it's time to go to work.
1: <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i mean you had a solid career you take a look 274 like i said 27 homers 144 rbis you definitely carried over the power numbers in a minor league baseball but when you just take a look at your career as a whole and i guess when you reflect on it what's the biggest thing you take away from uh your experience playing minor league ball
2: um you know just the the guys that i played with to be completely honest with you i mean you know we keep up with each other all the time it's a you know, release release is a grind. It is a a grind, and it's kind of you become family with these guys because you're you're with them more than you are your own family. Um, you with them nonstop, so they become you know kind of like your brothers from from another mother, so to speak. I mean, you you keep up with them. You know, I, I still play fantasy football with the same group of guys from my draft class from 2009. Like same group of guys. Uh, so I mean, you know, it's it's that's the best thing I can say I can take out of it. I mean. You know, my buddy got married. He was my roommate, uh, Neil Mitchell. He was an outfielder taking the round for us. So you wouldn't think. you think would be in competition the whole time. But we were, uh, yeah, we were like best friends from Yankees the entire time we had his wedding uh, about three years ago. And it was mm-hmm. crazy because we had guys come from just across the nation, guys from California, guys from Florida, guys from Jersey, you know, everywhere just coming back across us, you know, some guys are still playing pro ball. Some guys aren't. Some guys are still in the minors, but it's still, you know, you guys, you shared that experience with each other and it just kind of doesn't go away. It's kind of being a fraternity, you know, once you're in, you're in there and, you know, that's it. But that's, that's honestly my biggest takeaway, you know, mm. playing baseball, you miss it. And, um, but I can always go, out and go play baseball. I can pick it up somewhere. But, you know, the experience you mm. you, you have with your, your teammates, um, you don't, don't get that you know none of us are going to be in the locker room again so um that's that's my biggest takeaway from that absolutely
1: for sure now obviously d'angelo after you leave um south carolina goes on this crazy run back-to-back national titles go to the title (laughs) in 2012 um i I know because i you know i've talked to a couple different guys that were you know played with you and then played on those national title teams as well and they talk about just how you know, really how tough and how agonizing of a loss. Because you guys, obviously, in 2009, you go to the regionals, you lose the ECU on a walk-off. It really left a bitter taste in everybody's mouth. But, again, you leave. Those guys went back-to-back national titles. I mean, you're obviously in pro ball. How, how low-key envious were you, though, of those guys? And I, I guess also how proud were you of the guys that, you know, you obviously played with making that run and winning the championship?
2: Oh, I was so proud. We, I was in Charleston at that point. And um, it was funny because one of the, one of my teammates was from UCLA and, you know, obviously we're, we're talking trash back and forth, but we actually had it on the, um, on the scoreboard playing so we can watch uh, some of the game as well too. But, you know, I I could not have been more proud uh, of that because, you know, everybody's a part of that, you know, mm-hmm. even though we're not on the team, but the guys, you know, that played with me before me, that's, you know, that's for everybody. And we we're extremely ex- excited about that. You know, I don't I don't, I don't even want to say envious because, because here's the deal. If I, if I had one more year of eligibility, if I would have came back, who knows what would have happened? The lineup's different. People are playing different places. So, you know, what happened to that team in 2010 was supposed to happen exactly the way that it happened. And, you know, I wouldn't change that at all. You know, proud to be a gamecock after that moment, even before, but super proud. And, you know, I would not have changed one thing at all about it.
1: For sure. So when you take, I want to get your opinion on South Carolina baseball right now, because obviously Coach Tanner, uh, fantastic career, decides to step down 2013. Chad Holbrook comes in. A um, couple solid years, obviously didn't work out. Now we're on to Mark Kingston and South Carolina baseball. It's a really big year for Gamecock baseball. Um, first year in a Mark Kingston, obviously going to a super regional, which is a you know fantastic year. I mean, at South Carolina, obviously the expectations are Omaha or bust, but in reality, a great season. Um, last year sort of a struggle you had injuries especially at the front line of your rotation I'm not sure how many games you get to watch but are you familiar with Mark Kingston at all uh, obviously the job he's doing you know what's your kind of take on the state of Gamecock baseball right now
2: yeah I you know I went to one game last year I think it was the Auburn game and uh you know they're kind of in, in a in a rebuilding phase so to speak or trying to you know gather and get everything that they need to have in terms of you know to have a successful team and a successful season. and I'm sure you know Coach Tanner has all the confidence in the world, and Coach Kingston, I unfortunately haven't had the, uh, the opportunity to meet him or talk to him yet. Um, wanting to do that, I'm going to try to get down there this year a little bit more and uh, try to get the games a little bit more. But, you know, I'm, I'm more than confident that, you know, Coach Tanner uh, put him in that place for a reason. So I'm sure he's going to do what he can to get us back to where we want to be at the end of the day. You know, I think sometimes we're a little spoiled after we – uh after we go to the World Series three times in a row and win two of them Mm -hmm. and uh, almost win a third one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, once you get taste that victory, you want it all the time, and that's good. That's a great place to be in, and, that's you know, that's the ultimate expectation. That's what you want. Mm -hmm. And um, I think once we we get everything back to where we want to, I think we'll we'll be fine. So I'll I'll definitely um, keep up with it a little bit more and also see
1: where we are as well. You definitely hit the nail on the head. Cause I joke with a buddy of mine that, you know, it's funny. Nobody talks about the 2012 team and they literally went to the college world series final. I mean, you never hear about them, but cause they didn't win it. It's like, no. it's like, no, we didn't have a good year. It's like for any other school in the country, that's like the best season in their history. And it's it's just kind of funny that oh. that one gets swept under the rug but. uh, now, I was going to say, I know you, you said you went to a game last year. I know last year South Carolina kind of revamped the outfield wall, and it's really cool the way they have all the regional appearances, super regionals, you know, College World Series. Like, how much pride I, – I just have to imagine – how much pride do you take in when you look out there and say, like, I was a part of those teams. I'm a part of that tradition, that history. Like, That's got to be a really, really cool feeling for you.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a great feeling. I mean, you know – even before I, I got here, you know, we had a, a long history of winning and making it into, you know, regional, super regionals. I mean, just repetitively over and over again, every single year it seems like that's that's just what we did. That was kind of known here. And like you said, anything other than that was somewhat of a, a disappointment. And to know that you were a part of that <clears throat> that great string of teams that just came on for such a long time, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to be able to throw your name into that bunch and, you know, some of the great players that just came out of here. I mean, that's that's the reason I came to South Carolina because I wanted to be a part of that. And uh, fortunately, you know, I was. You know, so I I wouldn't trade it for a world.
1: So, D'Angelo, last question we'll get you out of here. When you take a look back at your career, um, I'll let you pick either best memory you had at South Carolina or is there one funny Ray Tanner story that sticks out to you?
2: Best memory or funny stories. Oh, man. Ah, Let's see if I can think of something here. I'm trying to think of any appropriate funny stories. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, the funniest coach Tanner story, not funny. It was just, (laughs) so we're in Kentucky and um, we were playing in Kentucky. We packed and, you know, it's supposed to be 60 ish in Kentucky for like Friday, Saturday and maybe a little cooler on that Sunday. And, you know, we play the first two games and we're and one and we get to the next day and out of nowhere there's this snowboard, like the storm just comes through, this winter storm. And none of us packed for this, by the way, Mm -hmm. whatsoever. Um, We're out here in three-quarter sleeves. We're trying to dig up stuff out uh, out of the bus to see if there's any extra long sleeves anywhere. And, you know, lo and behold, this turns out to just to be the coldest and most miserable game I ever played in my life. You know, I see, you know, Coach Tanner doesn't show like emotions in terms of like what the physical aspect of like the game is, if it's cold or hot. You know, he's pretty 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 stone faced on stuff like that. And um <laughs> we start we're we're warming up for this game. We're inside obviously. It's snowing and sleeting outside. And, you know, the head coach for uh Kentucky comes to say, Hey, we're gonna try to play it and we're all try to play what i guess the wind's blowing 25 and there's probably like a 19 degree wind chill they're like no no no, we're gonna play we got a break in snow yada 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 and you know we're just like all right well we're we're getting ready to go play this game so like you got to get your mind right to go out there and go play i mean it's freezing cold out there and you know we get in this is probably the best best game i've ever seen pitched, and it was by blake cooper i mean it was just I just remember in the dugout looking at Coach Tanner, and I don't think I've ever seen him that physically, like, just shaken and cold, and just read to his face of how miserably cold it was during that game. And I mean, he was in the corner over there by the, by the uh, by the heater, pacing up and down. And that was just one of the funniest, like, Coach Tanner stories. But because anybody that knows him, like, knows he's. Just show any type of those emotions like hey I'm cold or anything's cold but I've never seen him that cold in his entire life and I tell you what boy Cooper made that about the quickest game I've ever been a
1: So it's kind of it's it. kind of ironic you bring that up because uh, a couple weeks ago I saw Michael Roth uh, somebody tweeted at him about Blake Cooper or something he actually brought that up saying the most impressive game he threw was at Kentucky and was saying it was snowing had no sleeves on so <laughs> kind of ironic because I'm like I, I feel like I read about this like two three weeks ago and sure sure enough it's the exact I same mean, game so that was
2: that was the coldest and most miserable game I've <laughs> ever played in my entire. You guys play, got
1: the man. win, though, I imagine. I mean, you got the win.
2: We got the win because we hit first. Um, <laughs> I remember we got a few runners on and some of the boys were Kentucky. I mean, it, they were done after their first inning. Yeah, It was that miserable.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, D'Angelo, really appreciate you taking the time. man. I know I speak for all Gamecocks when we say it, it was a pleasure to watch you out there in the diamond, obviously do what you did, and uh, really excited to be talking with you. And let's do it again definitely sometime soon, for sure.
2: No, absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me on the show, and I
1: appreciate it, man. Look forward to being back at some Absolutely. So, for D'Angelo Mack, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.